We looked a little bit at Psalm 37 last week. We want to pick up and we want to finish out Psalm 37. This will be the last of the Psalms that we're going to do. After the mission celebration, we're going to begin something new. Um, I used to call it the grace approach. It's just a memory tool uh, that I sort of worked on to help us to remember. I used it a number of times in years gone by to help us learn how to share our faith with others, to help us uh, learn how to be a witness for Christ. And we're, we're, I'm going to rework that, going to redo that. And we're, when we finish the mission celebration, we're going to come back on Sunday evenings and we're going to work on the grace approach. And we're going to use the letters of the word grace as sort of an outline to help us just sort of remember where do we go next, what's next, what do we do next, to help us learn how to share our faith. We all want to share our faith, right? We all want to be effective in sharing our faith. We don't save anybody, but we've got to sow the seed. And so we're going to start that after our mission celebration on Sunday evenings. And I hope you'll join me. I, I trust that uh, it'll be beneficial to you, that it'll be helpful to you. Uh, maybe it'll be a memory tool. You probably have a memory tool already, but it'll be another memory tool that you can use to just help you uh, to be uh, as effective as possible. And I, I like to call it the grace approach. I, I'm not much on the hard sell. You know, you, you bring your big family Bible and you, know, you set up a pulpit in front of somebody, open your Bible and you, you know, look over. You're, you know, I'm not too much on that approach. Uh, I'd much rather do it in a gracious way. And so we will start that uh, when we come back. At, we're not going anywhere, by the way. But, but when I come back to teach on Sunday evenings after our mission celebration of next week and then the 23rd. Psalm 37, as I have told you, is one of my favorite of all of the Psalms. It seems like I say that a lot about, about a lot of the Psalms, but Psalm 37 really is one of my favorite of all the Psalms. My, my life verse is there, Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And I've just sort of claimed that verse and lived by that verse and just try to delight myself in the Lord as much as possible and have my desires to align with his desires as, as much as possible. But this is a wisdom psalm. This is sort of like reading the book of Proverbs. It's a wisdom psalm. As you read through the psalm, you're gaining understanding, you're gaining insight, you're beginning to see life from God's point of view, and you're, you're learning wisdom. So it's called a wisdom psalm. If you look at verse 25 of Psalm 37, you'll notice that when uh, David wrote this psalm, he was later in, in life, later in the years of his life. It says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. And so he, he's been a young man at one point, and now he's aging. Um, a lot of us are in that same category. We can remember when we were young. And we can remember all the, you know, the vim and the vigor and all the excitement and all the energy and all the thrill of being young. But now we're beginning to, you know, move into the middle years or the later years of life. And, uh, you know, there's different struggles we have to do. I've been young and now am old. And so he's got something he wants to share with us that's a matter of wisdom. I want you to have insight. Uh, he says, I've not seen the righteous forsaken. I just want to just take a moment and say to you that, and we're not going to go into depth here, but... Uh, you know, we, we look at that and we say, how could that be true? We've lived a long time too, and we've seen the righteous at times go through extremely difficult times that seemed like they were forsaken. But I remember as a, as, as a wisdom psalm, he's giving to you general principles, not guaranteed outcomes. 
Same thing with the Proverbs. He's giving you general principles, not guaranteed outcomes. And I want you to notice this his testimony. I have not seen the righteous forsaken. doesn't mean that it never happened. But more importantly, I want you to notice when he says, I've not seen the righteous forsaken. Are the righteous ever forsaken? God is always with the righteous, isn't he? They might not always have everything they would like to have or everything they think they need to have, but the reality is God never forsakes the righteous. He is with them uh, throughout the entirety of their lives, and he's never seen their seed begging bread. Uh, maybe you've seen somebody who, didn't know, uh, who knew Christ that, that was begging bread, but the reality is this is a wisdom psalm. It's filled with general principles, not guaranteed outcomes. This is David's testimony. This is something David has witnessed and David has experienced. And the background story is that, in fact, God never leaves his children. He never forsakes his children. What David is confronting in Psalm 37 is something that all of us have to deal with in the course of life, and that's the inequities of life. Have you found that you have inequities, things that just don't seem fair? As a matter of fact, one of the things you, you want to say to your children, or your grandchildren, life isn't fair. Uh, you're going to have things in life that just happen that seem inequitable, that just don't seem fair, and that's just a part of living life. If you found that to be true, or am I the only one? If you found that to be true, there's things in life that just aren't fair. That's just the reality of it. And sometimes dealing with those inequities is really, really hard. I know people that rather than running to the Lord in the middle of the inequities, they run away from the Lord. Rather than finding him to be their hiding place, they abandon him when there are inequities. This isn't fair. Well, we live in a sin-cursed world. It's been that way since Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, and it's going to be that way until Jesus comes and he sets everything right, and we're going to live in a world where there are inequities and there is unfairness that takes place. But when we find ourselves facing something of that nature, rather than giving into it and giving up through it, what we do is we turn and we try to get a different perspective on it. And we try to see it from the perspective of the Almighty God. And God's perspective is this. You might be having a tough time right now, but the righteous are going to be rewarded. The wicked are going to be cut off. And the end for the wicked is far worse, though it may look like they are getting away with and getting ahead of. The end result of the wicked is far worse than uh, what you're going through at this moment, as difficult as it may be, and the inequities may seem to you, because you're going to find yourself in the presence of Christ, and you're going to find yourself in the place that God has prepared uh, for his children. The sufferings of this present age they pale in comparison to what we will enjoy in the presence of God, right? That's what the Scripture says, Romans 8. That's what the Scripture says. They pale in comparison. And so when you're going through something that doesn't seem to be fair and somebody that's wicked seems to be getting ahead and you're falling behind and it just doesn't seem right that that should occur, you have to stop and remember the end of the wicked and take note of the fact that their punishment is a horrible eternal punishment and your reward for faithfulness is to be able to be rewarded in the Lord's presence. Now, something interesting, we're not going to read the whole psalm like we read it last week, but something that's interesting is you see these contrasts, these uh, adversatives taking place throughout the psalm. If you look down in verse 9, you'll, you'll see this unfolding. 
He says, for evildoers shall be cut off, but here's the adversative, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. If you look down to verse 11, he said, well, let's look back at verse 10. He says, indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But, here's the adversative, unlike the wicked that you see his place no more, but the meek shall inherit the earth. You see the adversative? You see the contrast that he's giving? You look in verse 17. He says, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. If you look down in verse 20, he says, but the wicked shall perish Oh, back up to verse 19. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied, but the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. In other words, quickly, you know, a matter of a breath, and they're gone. You look down to verse 21 and 22. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but... The righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Do you see it? He's contrasting the way of the wicked with the way of the righteous. He's saying, look at the wicked and look at the outcome. Look at the righteous and look at the outcome. Look at the contrast between these two. Yes, there is in life these kinds of inequities. There is in life these kinds of unfairnesses that take place, things that happen that just we can't make sense of. But you've got to stop and you've got to look at the contrast and be reminded. And that's what this psalm is trying to help us to do. As a matter of fact, you see a contrast going on throughout the psalm that, that you don't want to miss. You, you want to see the end of the wicked. You want to see the end of the righteous. Look back at verse 2 of Psalm 37. What does he say about the wicked? For they shall soon be cut down like the grass. Or, or look again at verse 10. He says, for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Or look down to verse 13. He says, the Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. Uh, or look over, if you will, at verse 36. It says, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Talking about the wicked. Or verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. That doesn't sound like a very good outcome, does it? I mean, over and over, he goes through here and says, okay, there are inequities in life. There are unfair things that happen in life. There are some people who seem to succeed, though they are wicked, and some people who don't have the same, the same benefits, though they are righteous, and it doesn't seem fair. But when you stop and you, can, you compare and contrast, and you look at the end, then you understand. As a matter of fact, uh, five times in this psalm, he uses the phrase cut off related to the wicked. Look at, look at verse 9. For evildoers shall be, what are, what are the two words? Cut off. Look at verse 22. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be, what are the two words? Cut off. Look at verse 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be, what are the two words? Cut off. Look at verse 34. Wait on the Lord. Keep his way. He shall exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are. Here are the two words. What is it? Cut off. You shall see it. Or down in verse 38 again. The transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be. What is it? Cut off. 
I mean, do you see what happens to the wicked? They're cut off, they're cut off, they're cut off, they're cut off. They're here for a little while, then they're gone. They're like a vapor. They're like some smoke that's in the air, but then the wind blows through and they're gone. They're like a tree. It looks green and and lush, but all of a sudden it's shriveled up and it's dead. They're here for a little while and then they're gone. He's contrasting. And if you're getting wisdom, if you want to be wise when you have inequities that are taking place in life, he says, use wisdom. Stop and look, not just at your immediate circumstances, Look at the long range. Look at the bigger picture. Look at the end result. I wish we could get people to do that, don't you? I wish we could get people to be wise and and consider the end or the outcome of what they're doing before they do it. Wouldn't that be nice? But why is it? Even Christians sometimes don't, you know, we we just forge ahead, you know, just run into the wall. Just fall off the edge. We don't even stop to think about what could be. Now, listen, I'm not talking about living your life where you're scared to death. You know, I've just got to hold on to everything. I don't want to go very far. I've got to stay right here close. It's too dangerous. I'm not talking about living your life that way. But wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be wise? Wouldn't it be smart? Wouldn't it be a good idea if people just stopped and said, you know, is this really the wise thing? You know, everything doesn't have to be right or wrong. It can be wise or unwise. You can do something that's unwise that might be right, but it's just unwise, right? Um, it, you see me driving on the interstate at 150 miles an hour. I mean, I, it's just not wise, right? It's just not right. There's things that you might be able to do, but it's not wise to do. There's things that you can do that might not be wrong to do them. It's not wise to do them. Wisdom. Wisdom stops and says, you know, look, look, you've got to look at the end result. Right now, it's pretty uncomfortable. It's not very pleasant. I really don't like where I am. I don't like the inequities I'm dealing with. He got the promotion. I should have gotten the promotion. He, did, he didn't do what I did. I don't know why he got ahead and I didn't get ahead. I mean, he, look at the way this man lives or this woman lives. And look at the way I live. I live for the Lord. I try to do what's right. I don't know why I didn't get the advance. And he got, and you get into all these inequities, but you got to stop. Wisdom says stop. And look at the, at the bigger picture. Wisdom says stop and look at the end result. Do you know what he says through this psalm? By the way, I'm teaching you how to study a psalm. Look, look for things that are repeated over and over. See them over and over. They're being emphasized. They're, they're significant. They're there on repeated, on repeated occasions to draw our attention to them. What, is, what does this psalm say about the righteous? While we know what happens to the wicked, they get cut off. We know they're like a vapor or a smoke. They're here for a little while, then they're gone. You don't see them anymore. You don't even know where they are. Nobody even talks about their name. Nobody even mentions them. What does he say about the righteous? We'll notice it, if you will. Uh, in verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Look, look at verse 9. For evildoers should be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 11, by the way, that's quoted in the, uh, where do you think that's quoted? The Sermon on the Mount, right? It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. We just did that one, didn't we? Verse 11, but the meek shall, here it is, inherit the earth. 
Look at verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Verse 22, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land. Verse 34, wait on the Lord, keep his way. He'll exalt you to what? Inherit the land. You get the idea that inheriting the land is pretty important? What's he saying? There's two different ends. There's a contrast going on here. There's, there's wisdom and understanding and seeing the bigger picture and recognizing that while it might not seem fair at this moment, hey, look, you're going to inherit the land. I don't know if you know or not, but heaven's a whole lot better than hell. It's a whole lot better than hell. And the wicked are going to be cut off they might look like they're prospering for a little while. It might look like they're getting away with what they're doing for a little while. It might seem as if, you know, they're getting the advance and you're not getting the advance. And yet here I am trying to obey the Lord and serve God and follow the Lord. I'm going to be careful here. Let me, let me back up for just a moment. Nobody gets into heaven by what you do. You don't inherit heaven in the sense of earning heaven. But you earn rewards in heaven. You get into heaven for one reason. That's you, that is you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and is the author and the giver of eternal life. And you receive it. You receive that eternal life. That's the only way you get into heaven. But once you have that settled, then you're living every single day of your life knowing that you're going to be at home in heaven one day, and God can reward you. He will reward you according to how you serve him and how you live for him in this life. That's a matter of inheriting the land, if you will. And so the psalmist is just trying to draw this contrast. He's, he's, he's speaking to the Jews. He's saying, look, when it looks like the nations around you are getting away with all this wickedness, and you know, they're oppressing us at times, they're attacking us, and we have to fight them off, and it doesn't seem, doesn't seem right that they should be prospering, and here we are just struggling to get along. It doesn't seem fair. He says, stop, stop, use wisdom, stop, look at the bigger picture. Look at life. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. That's the definition. Seeing life from God's point of view. Get the bigger picture. See life from God's point of view and look at the bigger picture of what's going on and look at the end. The wicked are cut off. The wicked are no more. The wicked are like some smoke that appears and then it's blown away and it's gone. But you, you're going to heaven. You're going to inherit the land. There's going to be rewards that await you on the other side. You're going to be on a street of gold and walls of, walls of jasper. A gate, the gates are made of a single pearl. You seen, a, you seen an oyster that big? They're made of a single pearl. They got a crystal flowing river that flows from, from the throne of God. That's where you're going. Okay, so life is a little bit tough right now. But I, I, wouldn't exchange, I wouldn't exchange my life for the end that the wicked are going to endure. So that's, that's what he's doing. He, he's drawing, this is wisdom. You know, getting young people. Most of them are not here. We don't have a lot of young people in the room. But young people, getting them to, to be wise. Learn wisdom. Um, you know, we, we want them to be as wise as possible. Didn't, didn't the Lord say, didn't James say, that if we ask for wisdom, that God would give it to us? He wants us to have his wisdom. 
He wants us to be able to see life from a bigger perspective. He wants us to be able to see it from the eternal perspective. And so there's all of this going on here with the contrast between the wicked and the righteous and the the injustices and the unfairness and the inequities that are happening. And the psalmist says, stop, stop. I've been young and I'm old. Let me teach you something. Can I just, just, this this is off subject altogether, but wouldn't it be nice if the younger people would just stop and listen to us older people? I know more than I've ever known in my life, and I know more of what to avoid and what not to avoid than I've ever known in my life, but I can't get people to listen to me. They just want to go ahead and bull straight forward. Let's just go like a bull in a china shop. Let's just go make a mess of everything. Don't listen at all. I'm I'm praying. We We have a generation in our church, I believe, that are listening, and I'm grateful for that. Wouldn't it be nice? The world is backward to the way the New Testament is set up, the New Testament church is set up. You realize that? The world places all of the emphasis on the youth. I understand that. There's a lot more more time for them to buy whatever product it is you're selling. So let's let's tailor it to that generation so they'll want to buy it. That's what Apple did. They made something for the young people. Now everybody in that generation grew up and everybody wants Apple. Apple Watch and Apple Phone and Apple Computer and Apple Mac and Apple this and Apple that. I mean, everybody wants it. They targeted that audience. I understand that in the business world. But you realize the church turns it around? Who is to be honored in the church? It's the older people. And the younger people are sit, to sit and listen and to learn. <laughs> I'm not getting much responsible on that one. <laughs> That's wisdom. I, I think I'll change subjects. He says, I've been young and now I'm old. But I want you to understand, I've not seen the righteous forsaken. The end result is that the righteous win and the wicked lose. So what do you do in the meantime? What do you do in the meantime when the inequities are you know, like bombs dropping all around you? Just boom, boom, boom. You just, everybody's getting, getting ahead and I'm getting falling behind. doesn't seem right. Verse 3, here are, all the, here are all the imperatives. All these other ones that we've been reading, they're indicatives. They're statements. Here come the imperatives. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He's going to say it again uh, a little bit later. I'm uh, going to say, trust in the Lord again. Uh, verse 5, at the end of verse 5, or in the middle of verse 5, trust also in him. Trust in the Lord. What's it mean? It means exactly what it says. I'm going to trust the Lord. Uh, sometimes I do well at that. Sometimes I don't do so well at that. Am I alone? Sometimes I do well at that, and sometimes I, I don't do so well at that. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I know that I do much better than I used to do, but I still got a long way to go in learning to trust in the Lord. Sometimes I experience something and I say, I've been here before. I I know I can trust him in the midst of this. And sometimes I find myself in something completely new and I'm scared to death and I'm trying to trust him, but I'm not trusting him very well. I'm just trying to be honest with you. But you know what you have to do in those moments? You have to do exactly what I have to do. I have to keep reminding myself, you got to trust the Lord. 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 You can trust the Lord. Amen? You can trust the Lord. The Lord is trustworthy. Trust the Lord. 
He says, do good. That's the second thing. That's the second command. Not only trust in the Lord, do good. That's not the time for you to quit doing good. When inequities are going on around you, you don't say, ah, if you're going to treat me that way, I'm just going to withdraw and not do anything. That's not what he says. Those are the moments that you do good. You look for opportunities to keep doing good. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell. He says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Now, we're not in Israel, but we dwell in the land of his word. We dwell in the land of his people. We dwell in the land. We keep our minds on heaven. We stop and we think about heaven. Do you think about heaven? Um, uh, y'all probably visit uh, a hospice house like we do. And uh, it's hard for me sometimes. I walk through hospice house and I see rooms where there's patients and, of course, there's no movement because they're sedated. And there's nobody in the room. There's nobody there. Nobody. And I have to stop and remind myself, you know, even when nobody's there, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Dwell in the land. Get your mind focused off of this world. Start thinking about the, the Lord himself and what he has prepared. And then he has that phrase, feed on his faithfulness. I love that phrase in the New King James Version. It's not that way in most of the other translations. It literally means to live securely or to live in peace. But I just love the phrase, feed on his faithfulness. I have that highlighted. Can you see that highlighted in my Bible? I got it highlighted in my Bible. Feed on his faithfulness. You know what you have to do? You just have to stop and think, wait a minute. God's been faithful here, and God's been faithful here, and God's been faithful here, and God's been faithful here. God will be faithful. I don't know what's coming. I don't know why this is going on. I don't like what's happening. But God's going to be God's going to be faithful. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, change where your mind is, is dwelling, feed on his faithfulness. Here's my verse. Delight yourself also in the Lord. That means to take total pleasure in God. I'm still working on it. I still love my house too much, and I love my conveniences too much, and I love the, the, you know, some of the pleasures of this life too much. I still love chocolate chip cookies. I still love brownies. I still love chocolate cake. Yellow, yellow cake, chocolate icing. No fudge icing. Just yellow cake. Anybody want to make one? <laughs> Sometimes I get too delighted in the things of this world, and I have to remind myself, I've got to trust the Lord. I've got to keep doing good. I've got to get my mind. I've got to dwell on the land. I've got to dwell on the Lord. I've got to dwell on where I'm going to be. I've got to feed on his faithfulness. I've got to remind myself, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. I've got to delight myself. I've just got to keep enjoying the Lord. Lord, you know, uh, this, this past February and March, through what I was experiencing in my own life when I was really having a downtime, you know, the Lord was closer than I had felt in the previous weeks or the previous months. Uh, you delight yourself in the Lord. There's something about drawing near to God, and he will draw near to you. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He'll show, he shall give you the desires of your heart. Here, here's the next command. You're trusting in the Lord. You're doing good. You're dwelling in the land. You're putting your mind on the, on the future and realizing God has something bigger. You're feeding on his faithfulness. You're delighting in the Lord himself. And then he says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way. 
The word literally means to roll onto whatever it is that's burdening you, whatever that's heading, you know, causing you stress and trouble, just roll it on to the Lord. Do you do what I do? I roll it onto the Lord and then I pull it back. You don't do that? Well, you come, Pastor. <laughs> you're, you're further along than I am. And you roll it onto the Lord and then you pull it back. And then you roll it onto the Lord and you pull it back. But you have to keep doing it. Commit your way to the Lord. Here's it is again. Trust also in Him. You sort of get the idea that He wants you to trust Him. Trust also in Him. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You know what that means? That means God, God will vindicate. There's a day when God sets everything right. Aren't you thankful for that? Here's your next command. You're, you're trusting in the Lord. You're doing good. You're dwelling, keeping your mind on, on spiritual things. You're feeding on his faithfulness. You're delighting in him. You're committing your way to him. You keep trusting in him. He comes down, verse 7. He says, rest in the Lord. You know what the word rest means? It just, just means stop. Just stop all of the anxiety. Just rest in the Lord. And then he says, and wait patient for him. Wait patiently is not a command. It's just what he says to do. Wait patiently for him. You know what it means to wait? Whenever you see it throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. What's he telling you? Trust him. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. It means you're just going to have to trust the Lord in his time, in his way. He's going to make it come to pass. You just have to trust the Lord. Whatever his will is, he will bring to pass and then he says it three times, do not fret. He says it once at the beginning of the psalm. He says it two more times, do not fret. Don't boil, don't stew. He says it again in verse 8, do not fret. Those are commands, do not fret. Do not fret, do not fret. Don't let it boil up within you. Don't let the anxiety boil over out of you. Do not fret. Wait patiently for him, he says. And then he says, cease from anger. That's a command. You ever get angry at people who seem to be getting ahead and shouldn't be getting ahead? Cease from anger and forsake wrath. What do you do when there's inequities? Well, I know what I do. I let them know what I think about it. And I go home and I stew over it and I can't sleep all night long thinking about it. And I plan what I'm going to say the next time I see them. And I'm going to make their life as miserable as they make my life. And I'm going to make... Uh, in the process, my life pretty miserable. What does he say? What does the psalmist David say? Hey, listen, I've been, I, I've been young. Now I'm old. I got some wisdom to impart to you. Hey, there's a lot of inequity in this world. He contrasts it. Wicked, righteous, wicked, righteous, wicked, righteous. The wicked are going to be cut off. The righteous are going to inherit the land. Look beyond the immediate circumstances. I know it's not easy. I have a hard time with it too. Look beyond the immediate circumstances and trust in the Lord. Do what's right. Dwell in the land. Change the way you think. Get your mind focused where you're dwelling on something other than the inequity. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to him. Trust in him. Rest in him. Stop fretting. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Leave it with God, basically, is what he's saying, right? Leave it with God. 